welcome to episode 118 of the Ninja Mountain Podcast, a podcast for artists and by artists. Ninja Mountain is a loose collective of fantasy sci-fi artists who like to talk about the art and business of freelance illustration. Ninja Mountain is a proud member of the Visual Artist Podcast Network. On our panel this week, we have Sokar Miles. At gorbalami.com. Patrick McAvoy. At megaflowgraphics.com. And... I am Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughStudios.com. And uh, the forums have been up, and they are, they're live. And uh, I find, uh, this is quickly off topic, but I find I, I do a lot of administration at the moment. And uh, basically, I have to vet all the uh, people who ch- attempt to sign up for the forums to gain entry. Mm-hmm. And um, I apologize to all those people whose names appear to be typed while they're having a seizure. And uh, whose whose email address may legitimately be free Nike shoes at gmail dot com. <laughs> You're not getting into the forum. You'll have to write to me privately. I think <laughs> it's just we can work out those bugs. <laughs> I get so, so. Don't put in an ironically uh, phony sounding name because yeah. it's not going to yeah. come across as irony. <laughs> I get hundreds of these uh, bots. And oh uh, my spam God. bots basically attempting to gain entry to our uh, little, our precious little zone there. I bet you are re- regretting offering to be the gatekeeper. You know, the thing is, I, I go, I have to go through it pretty much line by line to make sure I'm not overlooking somebody. It's most folks are pretty obvious. You know, the spams are pretty obvious. It just basically looks like somebody just sneezed while they typed out their name, and mm. then put in a correct an email address of some kind. Oftentimes, I have to go into uh, one of those online sites to check out uh, that usually that post um, complaints for spot for um, you know bots and all that. Some mm-hmm. of the biggest offenders of ISPs out there. <coughs> so, yeah, it's it's a nightmare. <laughs> and then when I'm gone for a few days, by the time I get back, there are just hundreds waiting for me. Oh God. Oh God! So yeah, I would I would appreciate folks if they would use something that resembled their true name, and an email that looks legitimate. <laughs> and then just start posting. Yeah, I I'm I'm about to uh, uh, post a short thing in the uh, the off-topic area about favorite movies from the year. So you see, you can write about anything you like on here. Yeah, I've got a big. Um, I've got some paintings that I want to do uh, in the wake of uh, IllixCon, which was an awesome show, by the way, but we'll we'll talk about that another oh, juncture because that will make Sokar cry. <laughs> and um, I think maybe all I can do is I'll keep a uh, photo log of, uh, sort of like a work in progress photo log of that piece, as it, of, the, of those pieces as they develop. So I think that'll be fun. It'll be stuff that I can share outside of my pro work, because you know, we can never really share that stuff on the public forums, but personal work we can. Cool. That's true. That I'd look forward to. Now, we actually have our, some of our first to- uh, topic ideas from our uh, people who've logged into the forum. And uh, I believe we'll keep it anonymous for now unless the uh, artist comes forward and, and identifies himself. But I'll keep it anonymous for the moment. Okay. And the first question <clears throat> comes from a listener who writes, do you read fan criticism? If so, how do you deal with it practically? Do you perhaps discuss your art with the end users of the products you worked on? Or emotionally, 
or any other way. And he goes on to explain that he'd worked on uh, a book and um, he, when lo reading reviews of this book, he saw that previous editions of this game line were receiving some negative criticism online. And he had to wonder what it would be like to be that artist or those artists who are reading these, these, this criticism of their work and their efforts. And um, I know I've... Uh, I have gone online and I've I've conducted those van that, the occasional vanity surf, you know, to see what what comes up when my name gets typed in, and uh, it meets with mixed results. You know, sometimes I, overall I think I get pretty reasonable response to the stuff I do, but uh, every once in a while you're gonna get people that just don't like artwork, just don't like the artwork, period, and or yeah. they feel it was underdone or whatever. Maybe it didn't meet with their expectations for their favorite game line. But uh, what do you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, I remember when the first volume of Flesh Rot came out. Um, there were a whole bunch of reviews, and um, uh, I read them. And um, there was one which said that my story sounded like a crazy old Japanese hermit wrote it, and he didn't see what it had to do with zombies, and it sucked. And you know, it's like, LOL, man. <laughs> Oh, okay. I was I was I was a little bit puzzled by it because it was definitely a zombie story. Uh, the zombie didn't appear until the last page, but you know that was the whole shocking twist ending. There's a zombie. <laughs> I'm not sure where? 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 <laughs> I'm not sure where the crazy old Japanese hermit part came from. Uh, um, so that was a weird experience. And, and also my first uh, professional assignment, uh, someone at RPGNet said that the art from that book was really amateurish. But um, I don't know, I was already working on something else by then, and so... You know, my, my attention to the project that was already complete was kind of done. Yeah, I, like I say, I mean, I've had that experience where I've I feel like I've I had a pretty good run on a particular product, and then when the reviews came out, you saw something. You know, you you saw reviews that were either indifferent or slightly negative, or yeah, you know, or you don't know if you worked on a team of artists, you don't know whose work is being described in that negative fashion. You just naturally assume it's your own because you know we're all the center of our own universe, right? But yeah, uh, like, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, and it's, and you know that's ridiculous, especially when the negativity is not specifically aimed at you. You can't just say, oh, well, it's probably aimed at me. Uh, you know, if your if your name isn't specifically mentioned along with a nasty comment, then you should just be nice to yourself and assume that the nasty comment was not for you. For example, um, I'm also in a book called The Mammoth Book of uh, Best Horror Comics, I think. But unfortunately, this book contains no EC comics at all. It's all just uh, small press stuff, so... A lot of people took issue with it being called the book of best horror comics because how can you have the best horror comics with no EC, right? Um, Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and but that's I, not I, your fault. You're, no, that's not my fault. Obviously, not your fault at all. It's not my fault. I wasn't born in the 1950s, or actually, I'd have had to, I'd have probably had to be born in the 20s or 30s to be a professional artist drawing for EC Comics. That's so right. anyway, anyway, a lot of people put in their reviews that the the old stuff was really great, but um, the newer stuff was mostly really lackluster. 
Um, and I just, you know, I kind of thought to myself, yeah, they probably are talking about mine, but I didn't. I was like, you know what? Mine was pretty zombie-ish and gross. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's awesome. <laughs> How about you, Patrick? Have you ever received some of the some of that negative love, that minus oh, love? Yeah. Well, uh, the, I try not to read reviews at all these days. Um, the when I did my uh, graphic novel a few years back, uh, now I, well, I don't know, a little over two years ago it came out. Um, it got it got some good reviews and it got some. Uh, kind of lackluster reviews for the art and I kind of let that get to me for a while and I realized well this is stupid you know people are going to like it or they're not going to like it and it doesn't really doesn't really affect how I'm going to do it in the future you know it's not like I can take anything from a bad review and and you know oh well yeah I should look totally different shouldn't I Uh, (laughs) you know it's it's not going to help so I I try to stay away from those uh, these days um, because you can't do anything but bring you down Um, but you know you can just ignore them Uh, the the reviews that I worry about the most are from my clients because that's what's really going to affect my bottom line so if a client says they you know they're not happy with a piece or you know uh, if they even come back and say, you know, can you change this or that? I try to do as much as I can to uh, to really redo it a whole lot better because they're, they're the ones I want to impress. So in that situation, I'll jump and, and really work on it. But, you know, a random person from the public, bleh. Plus, you, you never know with a random person from the public review. You know, they could be they could be reviewing the art, but they may not be reviewing your technique. They may be reviewing the particular pro- project. They might not like it. Like, for example, if somebody gave you a bad review for your art and that horrible sorority girls thing, <laughs> even I even I would give you a bad review for that. That was a piece <laughs> of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> But like, that is oh, that does uh, not mean I think you're a horrible artist. I think you're excellent. <laughs> I think the point you might well, isn't there ever that danger? You know, if you you get enough negative critique, say you worked on a on a book for as part of a product line that you'd like to remain a part of, I guess enough ba- I guess enough public backlash, however unlikely, would probably have a detrimental effect on your relationship with the art director. But oh. maybe not on a professional level, but certainly on whether or not you get work on that particular product line in the future. I would yeah. say that is pretty unlikely. I mean, have you ever seen people just, I mean, apart from maybe an artist who was really abrasive and made a lot of personal enemies, um, but have you ever seen somebody just totally, you know, a whole lot of people just totally pan just the artwork out of a product. I mean, maybe if it had Liefeld in it. I mean, people do, kind of, <laughs> they do kind of go after anything that has Liefeld. But you know, have you ever read a review of a role-playing game which is like, oh my God, Wayne Reynolds dropped the ball. That guy is like a piece of garbage. Anybody who works with him is a total loser. Or, oh my God, let's 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 uh, kill Todd Lockwood. He's the worst artist who is ever born. Or, so Miles draws like garlic smells or 
Patrick McAvoy <laughs> had his head up his ass on that one. I mean, have you ever seen that? I have never seen that. Um, no. you, you, know, know, you know one thing usually... I've never seen? I've never seen out there. Why don't they just hire Jeremy to do everything? Dear God. Man, why, why do we need anybody else in this industry? Dear, jeez. Yeah, just well, just make it the Jeremy McHugh show. You know, the other direction can be equally bad, and I'm also guilty of uh, reading it and taking it too much to heart, is when people say you're really awesome. And then, you know, you start to think, yeah, I am. Boy, am I great. And, and I think your work can only suffer if you Yeah, to- I mean... Avoid deviant art if that kind of thing goes to your head. Cause, yeah. You know, you, you do get a lot of very non-critical. Uh, you can request recre- you can request critique, but you might not get it. Um, <laughs> well, you're... people can only critique you if they have a paid account too. So. Oh really? Yeah. I thought you could. I thought anyone could critique, but you could only request critique if you had a paid account. I'm pretty sure you can only actually give the critique if you have the paid account too. Oh well, that kind of that's kind of which annoying. is probably I'm, why you don't get so many. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't usually request critique on Deviant Art because most of the stuff I post up there, um, you know, I'm posting it after the NDA has expired. It's it's already published. It's in somebody's book, and you mm-hmm. know, I'm sure publishers vanity Google as well. And you know, what if they come to your Deviant Art and you requested critique on the pieces that you did for them, even if you got nothing but glowing critiques um they might be all hmm why are you asking for critique on this you know you already had it could be be very valuable if it's work personal work you know new work especially for for newer artists you know but yeah for for us usually we're putting things up there that have already been approved and published (laughs) and so a there's no point anymore because you can't go back and change something that's already been published and b you might offend your client especially if you got some negative critiques in there and they're thinking well (laughs) Damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boy, I screwed up hiring that person. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, there's another dimension to this question that he asks. And have you ever changed anything about your work because of fan feedback? I think to some extent, I'll, I'll pay attention to some, you know, to the commentary of people. And if I feel I'm getting a over, you know, a overwhelmingly good comment from people, say people walk by your booth at a show and they say, "Hey, nice stuff," or do you? I mean, do you take that as? All right, I'm on the right track, or do you take that as just something to pause and think about? Right. And granted, you might maybe sometimes you'll be at a show and you'll get a relative pretty much indifference to what's on the table behind you. People aren't responding to you at all. And does that have any impact on what you're doing? Well, I, I do take note of what people seem to like and what they don't seem to like. So I can draw more of the stuff that people like and hopefully make some more money. Yep, same here. I think we all do that from, uh, yeah, especially at conventions. Uh, yeah, if you know stuff is selling, um, why why not go with that and say, hey, this is popular. Um, you know, I also uh, I also use feedback from clients quite a bit for that too. You know, not just it it isn't just negative like I was mentioning before, but positive if a client is really extra effusive over a piece, I will definitely take that to heart and say, wow, I should do more of that. Uh, yeah. That's very important. Yeah, because you you know, if it's your client, you wanna be a you wanna be bringing them more of what more of what they like. You don't yeah. want to be 
Sort of or bringing... other clients. I'm going to bring other clients more of what that client liked and see if it works. <laughs> Spread it around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Plus, you never really know what's going to take hold of a, an audience's imagination. Like, I, I always go back to Monkey with Gun. You have no, <laughs> you have no idea what it is that's going to that people will respond to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been I've been playing this game lately. I, I know this sounds really stupid. You know, artist works all day drawing, then goes and plays a game which is also drawing. It's, it's this site called Drawception.com, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's actually really fun. It's like I don't know if anyone remembers Broken Picture Telephone. No, I don't. Heard of it. Um, well, it was this site, and it went down a while ago and never came back up, despite many promises to do so, um, where uh, one person writes something like uh, big, fat donkey, and then the next person draws it, and then the next person writes what they think it is, and uh, then, you know, 12 or 15 panels later, uh, the game gets exposed, so everyone can see how close or how far away the final drawing is from the first um, description. And, you know, it'll start off with something like man watching TV and end up with, uh, in Soviet Russia, Tyrannosaurus Rex shoots you. <laughs> and- <laughs> I'd like to see that. <laughs> So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's one I participated in um, a couple of days ago where it was all these drawings of someone called the Crimson Chin. I guess it's a superhero with a really big chin. And then the, the, the final panel, actually, I got, and it said Bean with Antennae. So I drew Mr. Bean with Antennae. So it was like superhero, 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 Mr. Bean. <laughs> so I laughed. Um, so it's fun. It's funny. But uh, the, thing, the, the funny thing is... Um, the things that seem to get the most upvotes are often to do with internet memes like or or memes specific to the site like uh people mixing up r2d2 and daleks and um uh people drawing wharf all the time i don't know why i must have skipped like a million wharf games because i'm not sure what a wharf is <laughs> well think of how many mashups we saw hitting the internet just in the past week with the announcements of disney's recent purchase of star wars you know, yeah, oh, that yeah. that was that was cropping up on that site too. I I drew an evil Mickey Mouse on there. Uh, I drew a couple of evil Batman. Batman seems to somehow work his way in all the time. So if you like drawing Batman, you'll love that site. Well, Batman's everywhere. Hey, just a quick news flash. At precisely 12:20 p.m. today, I received about 22 bots <laughs> trying to get into the uh, <laughs> one in, the, in one minute <laughs> oh my god wow one minute we are wildly popular in the bot community you know i i keep thinking v bulletin may not have been the best choice for us <laughs> <laughs> it's hard it's hard to maintain it's hard to uh customize um and it seems to be like Nectar from heaven for bots. <laughs> <laughs> they do like us a lot. They do. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I was just at a, because I did a couple of shows in the past two weekends. I did the Rhode Island Comic Con. And um, I was, you know, I, I only sold one sketch the whole time. And part, one of the biggest reasons for that, I think, is because I don't have fan art on the table behind me. I don't. I don't have fan art on that table. I don't have it hanging behind me. Mm. That's probably a really, really good, good suggestion. I should do that too. Mm. 
you know. So I, my thought about, um, of course, we we know my thoughts on fan art and what I've learned in the past year. But the, the, it's hard to, you know, every time I I, I mention this to some to another artist at the show, the majority of the answers I get usually exist within the gray. Their arguments are very gray, uh, in favor of it when they say that. Well, I'm going to do prints of X property, and what's the publisher going to do to me, really? And I don't know that uh, if you you can look at it from that angle, you can look at it from moral rights. But I just avoid it because I don't know. Maybe I'm just a good little boy. But I don't know. It's I think one of the other, one of the other things that I would offer this is a bit of advice to um, folks who are doing cons. Yeah, I, 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 I kick myself for not doing more of it. Was prints. I simply don't have many many prints and. Yeah, you need prints, but you know I think the thing with fan art is that it. A lawsuit is highly, highly, highly unlikely unless you are really infringing on their copyright in some significant way and in a very similar medium. Like if you are drawing just pinups of Batman and you're selling them, you're probably not going to get anyone bothering you. But if you start doing your own Batman comic and it really catches on and people are buying it. So, so, you know, personally, I avoid it. Um, I've had a couple of uh, requests lately. Um, I was asked to join in on concept art in a movie project to which somebody else owns the rights and they've got some really great artists working on it and it looks like an awesome project but you know I had to I had to say no um, because you know until permissions I just don't take their I just don't take the risk I can't afford to I've decided so I, I just don't do fan art oh, yeah. but you know if someone from Marvel Comics was to come along and say hey we want to see your weirdo take on Batman. I would totally draw a Batman comic if I was being paid for it, but um, I, I would not. Know, I would not draw it just just to make money at conventions. No. I, I look at fan art. If I were to do a, a fan art piece, and I'm considering doing the odd thing, one it would be strictly portfolio, and two I would probably use it to actually as a fan promote. <laughs> use it to promote my favorite, my my fan favorite. You know, for right. instance, if I, if I were to do a, um, a, fa- a fan art piece of Hellboy, I would use that image to say, head on over to Mike Mignola, art of Mike Mignola, go check out Hellboy. It wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't be, no, and make sure to buy a print from Jeremy. You know, that's <laughs> that's not fan art anymore. That's that's what we call derivative work and infringement. Yeah. Right, right. Um I mean, I have no problem with working on other people's intellectual property if I'm being paid for it and it's all legit and above board. But I'm not just going to assume that it's there, that it's up for grabs. Uh, like, um, you know, if if some if, they, if there's no copyright in something and, and you know it's long expired, then sure I'll draw something related to it, like The Wind in the Willows or, you know, any Italian opera. <laughs> just about I sure I draw some art related to it. But if somebody is still alive out there and they're Making money off it, and it's and this is their baby. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go stepping all over that until I'm invited. Well, I, I'm sorry to derail us into into talk of fan art again. It was a um, it, this kind of you know what the public wants and how we respond to it. It seemed like it just kind of brought me to that. But uh, you know, there was another question, and it seemed to dovetail well with uh, the previous question from another listener. And uh, if you like, I'll read this to you. Um, Go ahead. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'm just uh, say, over the years I've encountered many who have said that game art is somehow less, and even those who suggest games shouldn't even have art at all. Oh, I know what brought this on. Yeah, it was. I saw that thread. Yeah, well, he, he the artist wrote the artist wrote to me the listener wrote to me directly 
and uh, to, because he was having difficulty posting in the forums. But um, mm -hmm. then I've met and talked to fans who absolutely love the artwork and games in general, and of course everything in between. To keep it brief, my questions range from how, as artists, do we respond to such feedback to whatever happened to etiquette, especially in regard to critiques. Uh, um, I'm also coming at this from a few levels. First, and probably the most raw of my reactions as an artist, then as an art director, and then as a producer of games, I'm wondering what others' experiences may be at these levels, or information that may have passed to you from such levels, if it does not apply to you personally. I mean, he did come out, he did write to me again and mention that this was, in fact, a lot of this whole uh, artwork should never appear in games came from a pretty much a troll. Yeah, I did. I um, I should, I'll, I'll I'll say a bit about this because it was funny. I I was going to respond to it in RPG Net, but I was too lazy. Um, somebody had apparently made a comment that all, all game art sucks, and um, you know he could have he could have <laughs> he could have been coming with that from a couple of of, of um angles. I'm not sure because he didn't really elaborate. Um, he could have been sort of coming from the 99% of everything sucks, which is pretty accurate um or he could have been um decrying game art specifically because well um a lot of a lot of beginners get their start in game art because it is one of the easier markets to break into and the standards the, the lowest standards are lower than they would be in a lot of other markets because simply because their budgets are lower and um probably uh you know, it's, it's a good place to get your start and get your uh, get break your teeth in, but maybe you know that that does result in some game art that one might say sucks. <laughs> but on the but that that's, um, you know certainly doesn't apply to all game art. There's uh, there's some awesome stuff out there. Um, I mean, maybe he was coming at it from the point of view of oh well, game art is all you know it's all the same. It's all kind of cliche. Um, it's sort of all the sort of generic fantasy stuff and. Uh, you know, that's only true to an extent as well. I mean, sure, there's a lot of kind of Arthurian legend-type stuff and uh, Tolkien-type stuff and, you know, a lot of orcs and elves and dwarves. and You know, even artists get tired of that because there's just so much of it. But, uh, you know, there's also a lot of stuff that brings um, kind of new life to the same old material, uh, takes it on from new approaches. There's some really innovative work that appears in games as well. So uh, I think I think game, as in, in with game art as with everything else uh, you take the good with the bad, but it's, it's mm -hmm. definitely it's just not all bad. You can't you can't generalize the whole field, and you know I'll always be grateful to the game market for um, allowing some of my bad early art to be published. Not because I particularly want the world seeing my bad early art, but because I really needed the money back then and <laughs> I wasn't getting work anywhere else. Yeah, hey, and same, it, with, you know, same with me. You know, another thing... It teaches game, you to be professional, oh. you know? It teaches you, to, teaches you to hit your deadlines and work with art directors. And, you know, even... You know, it, it can be a, it can be sort of a tough proving ground because a lot of the art directors as well in game art aren't as experienced as they would be in other fields. So you, you kind of get, you jump right in with potentially difficult clients and it's a really good place for cutting your teeth because when, when, once you come out of the game market, you've pretty much probably seen every, every possible thing you're going to see as an artist, good and bad. I I would also like to thank the gaming industry for allowing uh, <laughs> my early Yeoman efforts to see print in the light of day. Yeah, I I totally agree with what you're saying. It's it is true that there there is a relatively low barrier 
to entry to get into this market. And there, but at the same time, there's not a whole huge amount of upward mobility. So, you know, the, the highest paying companies in our particular industry don't quite match the budgets of mainstream um, publishers. We're very much, I'd say, our, com our, our marketplace is very grassroots in, in many respects. So, you, you see a lot of hobby level publishing. Um, mm -hmm. Granted, you see it in book publishing as well. You see hobby level book publishing taking place mm -hmm. and perhaps we'll see even more of that with uh, new new avenues for electronic publishing continuing to uh, develop but uh, you know it, it's, it is that trolls argument that um, oh yeah games don't need artwork we're just gonna rely upon the collective imagination of the gamer and mm. which is you know I, I I think most people like that and uh, we've as we've already discussed I think most people like that visual springboard I, mean, no. I have to say, I would never have played games if they didn't have art. Oh, yeah. So, like I never, I never I even have picked them. I, I would never even have picked them up on the shelf if it hadn't been, you know. You see the art; it says Dungeons and Dragons on it. You're like, ooh, Dungeons and Dragons. I wonder what that is. So you pick it up and you realize it's a game. Mm -hmm. And you know, but the only reason, the one of the reasons, when you don't know what it is, that you keep leaping through it is you see the art. And you know, the art in the original Dungeons and Dragons is was um, a very variable quality, let's put it oh, that sure, way. Sure, sure. But, you know, the people who are buying those books are often like, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, the beginners and that sort of um, thing. That Their standards for what's going to be awesome art, you know, they're, they're looking for more something that's going to have a lot of imagination and kind of something exaggerated and cartoonish a little bit and uh, um, fun, Fun is a big one, and you know, awesome Wait, sort of something. Did you say that the average buyer is eight to nine years old? Well, that's how old I was. Oh no! I, well, you know, we go to Gen Con, and yeah. But I, no, I'm not it, saying the average. I'm not saying like the average buyer. I oh, mean, okay. I mean, no, I'm saying like the people who are first, who are first, you know, first buying it, buying it for the first time. They're the kids. They're, they're little many, kids. Many are. Well, some guys got you know. Most folks. I mean, they're mostly folks with disposable income, and they. I mean, granted, I think these days there's a higher standard amongst gamers as to what they like in the books, but... Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, most people I know who, who um, play role-playing games as adults have been playing since they were little kids. And, you know, they were, they were playing them when they first came out, and the art, you know, they look at, they look at that bad old art with some real nostalgia. Like, um, they, they, they kind of miss those days. Um and I, I mean, maybe people my age who still play games are sort of a diminishing market. Um, so maybe maybe the market that should be catering to is teenagers who probably would have a higher visual standard now because they uh, mind or they're exposed to so much. <clears throat> but well, in everybody my, does, yeah. In my it's day, it was, uh, it was sort of little kids playing it. Um, sort of, <laughs> in my day, how old are you? What are you like, ninety? Back in my day, <laughs> I'm not actually that old. I'm thirty-three. We draw pictures in the dirt on the ground. Back when we oh, hunted the mammoth. Oh, bite me! I'm just thinking about when I was in elementary school, and and you know we'd bring, we'd bring books into the classroom that weren't supposed to be there, and you know we'd be talking about campaigns at, at uh, the morning break and so forth, and. You know, it was just a bunch of little kids with books and dice and, um, 
yeah i mean yeah we, we would we like the art we'd look at the art and we'd be like oh yeah look at this monster we gotta have some of these and <laughs> and um you know we weren't sitting there having a critiquing session on the schoolyard i can i can say that you know we try to copy some of the art and and uh and so forth but we weren't sitting there like oh this guy is terrible he uh he only uses one line weight through his whole drawing. <laughs> it was it was more like, um, wow, I bet that thing would be huge in real life. I bet it would be like the size of a house or a gazebo. <laughs> I said gazebo. <laughs> I, I've heard economic arguments from from folks who say, well, you know, I'd be happy to buy a book for ten bucks if it, even if it didn't have all that artwork in it that makes it cost thirty. You hear you hear the people basically talking about how the artwork has caused the their favorite uh, games or books to go up in cost. They might not even look at it if it didn't have the yeah, artwork. Exactly, I mean, they might not have picked up the game in the first place if it didn't have compelling work in it. Everybody yeah, thinks they're that's immune a lot to like... that kind of thing, but nobody actually is. Like everybody says, oh, ads on TV don't sway me, or advertising means nothing to me, or I don't even notice the art. Yes, you do. You're not special. Yeah, that that's like saying that uh, you know books books shouldn't have covers. <laughs> I mean, books need covers to uh, sell. It's just uh, uh, not even not even a a question about that. Even so. academic books usually have at least something on the cover. <laughs> well, just just look at some of the creatures of Dun of Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, do you think uh, what? All the, would the players have much of commonality of experience if everybody was being forced to envision what a beholder looks like in their own minds? Yeah, yeah, that that's a good point. It brings everybody into the same world. And, uh, yeah, think, it's not even an argument. I don't even know why we're uh, It's just interesting to hear that there are people like this walking the planet. <laughs> I, you know what? I think, I, think, I think we can say we have been trolled. Have a nice day because we even talked about yeah. that. <laughs> Hopefully we'll put this to rest and no further artists will have to, you know, we'll lose sleep over this discussion. Basically, just, just when you see something like that come up, just remember it's silly and it doesn't mean anything. Um, if somebody says that the, the field you work in is stupid, like a lot of people hate horror, while it's my favorite field to work in. You know, they say it's sort of the lowest form of genre expression. Uh, uh, maybe it is, but it's also one of the most fun. Yeah, you just gotta love that whole quote. One hundred percent of all gaming book artwork is bad and should be thrown <laughs> out with some within some very small margin of error. Wait a minute, a small margin of you just said one hundred percent. There is no wiggle room. <laughs> you should be yeah. saying that ninety nine point nine 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 percent. Don't give me this wiggle room nonsense after you just said a hundred percent. Well, anyway, anyway, yes, we we've been trolled. We've let's, been trolled. Let's leave it at, <laughs> that. Look at that. We we took the bait. Yeah, I <laughs> yes, you did. You were the one who brought it out, you loser. I didn't. In all fairness, we did say though this was based on comments of a troll, so we yes. know that is in fact so, trolled. We yeah. were we were enjo we were kind of jumping into the into the world of this troll. You know, um, we had another listener asked uh, who was curious about rights, and I'm not as I'm not as experienced in this. I'm curious about rights. I know that many artists retain some of the rights to their art, but how do you go about selling secondhand rights? How do you make it look well, not like sloppy seconds? 
second hand rights. I'm not oh, quite sure what he means by well, that. So you I were think they're talking about second print rights or licensing. Yeah, like oh. you know, some if you work with it, a company it, and you want to have, you know, say you have a you did a cover for one company and mm-hmm. 5 years on the cover the rights revert to you and then you pass that on to another publisher it's you know does it oh, yeah. feel you know you know what? It's you know what? Great. I love it. Nobody thinks of that kind of thing as sloppy seconds. Seriously, don't yeah. even worry about that. Um, if people see something and they want to use it and they write to you and they're like, "Oh, this is awesome. Can we license it?" They don't care really. They've, at this point, that they're asking you to license something, they don't really care if they're the first or the fiftieth to use it. Probably, it's just something that's going to fit with their product and they want to use it. And you know, if it had if it had ever gained that much traction with some other product that had become like an icon of that, then probably other people wouldn't ask to use it so much. But um, you know, most most things wouldn't have achieved that status. So don't even worry about it. Mm-hmm. Sell sell second, third, fourth, fifth, as many as you want. Yeah. Just always just make it always clear what they're purchasing, so that you don't think that they've got the uh, the latest and. <laughs> well, well you know, exclusivity. Uh, virtually all the time, though, if they're doing that, they've seen it somewhere else. Oh, yeah. They'll write you and say, hey, I saw this picture in this product. Can I use it for this product? And then I'll either say, no, they have the rights, or yes, uh, give me money. And those are those are my only two. <laughs> it's, it's a very vi- binary thing. Well, actually, <laughs> There's you know, no, uh, no is... other thoughts about overexposing oh. or whatever. It's oh. just like, uh, yeah, you, if you've got the money, uh, you can. And definitely uh, rent the picture. Well, it, it'd be worth mentioning that not all publishers, and I and I just had a I just had a um, request from a, a publisher I work with regularly asking if I had anything in my uh, in my imagery or sketches or anything like that that would fit a particular product they had in mind, and they didn't necessarily know whether or not what I might show them is a second right or anything. It's it's they'll they'll ask if you have something in particular. It may be that it's something that you've published in the past. That you have rights to, and it's just—it's mm-hmm. just worth mentioning where something may have been originally seen. If it—they it, may very well want something that just hasn't quite seen the light of day yet. Yeah. Oh, and a lot of the times, if people are asking you that, they—they're they're hoping it's going to cost them less to get mm-hmm. the use of something you've already done, which probably it will. Quite possible. Yeah. So, um, you know, why not? Why not? I mean, I'm always perfectly straightforward, and you know, I, if I send a contract, I make it very clear that it's. Uh, sort of one-time print rights and it's not first print rights <laughs> so uh, I've never had I've never never run into a problem with somebody getting up in arms because it had been used somewhere else so nobody nobody seems to really care about that yeah yeah so guys I need to uh, get going so I'm gonna have to leave it to your devices um, and uh, say thanks a lot for the discussion and I hope to get together with you next time Coolness. I can't believe he actually has a life. What a loser. How'd that yeah. happen? You live vicariously <laughs> through you, accident. Patrick. It certainly wasn't part of, uh, part of my plan to actually have a life. But, uh, hey, these things happen. So maybe you can uh, get in touch with uh, Eric or uh, uh, Ralph or other people who don't have lives. And <laughs> <laughs> They're not online. It's just going to have to be us two. <laughs> leaving okay, us. Yeah to go live we your did, life. We did fine. We did fine last time. It was just us. Yeah, better than better than usual in fact. So okay, uh, it's been a slice of heaven and I will talk to you both soon. All right, man, and, and I will now segue into our next question.
the Ninja Mountain Podcast. We come within 50 feet of your ears, despite the restraining orders. We, we do have one more. We have another question from, uh, from a listener. And actually, it's the same listener as the first question. And it, it, it's made, I, don't know, have, I don't have much experience in this, and perhaps you do. Um, do you guys have any experience in marketing promo illustration? Not sure if that's the proper term, but all kinds of adverts and stuff. I've been trying to get into that a bit because I have a good relationship with an illustration agency here, and they send me offers from time to time, but so far I've only been able to take on a few. The main problem for me is they have insane deadlines. All of the offers I got so far were of the we need two full page color illustrations the day after tomorrow type of thing. I'm quite slow, but I still find this rather ill-planned. Of course, I feel terrible saying no to the agency, they're nice people, but how can anyone look at my art and think, surely he can do one or two of these over the weekend? I vaguely recall some discussion about magazine illustration and the troubles of illustrators face with, with those, particularly those who work in oils. But I have to wonder how are these marketing campaigns organized that the actual artist is left with a weekend to do the work. And they're big, well-known companies, no local barbershops or groceries. But maybe I'm just too slow and can't work in the hard competitive world of big business. I'll, I'll be honest, I think a lot of the most big businesses can't work in the hard competitive world of freelance illustration. <laughs> that's my that's my response to that. They have you know they it's it falls to I think it ends up falling to the artist to educate some publishers and 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 companies in general. You sometimes especially if they're not used to working with artists, they don't know how long the art takes. It's funny to hear this coming from an illustration agency who you'd think would know better. Well, you know they probably saw Bob Ross on TV doing his landscapes in half an hour. Mm-hmm. And they thought we can all do that. Well, you know, this artist works digitally, and I'm thinking they must see digital and think, oh, he can do that at the speed of light, because, you know, he's painting with light. But Yeah, it doesn't quite work that way, does <laughs> no. it? I think digital is digital for some people, um, for me, not for everyone, but for some people it's even slower because of the whole disconnect between tablet and screen. It makes it uh, mm-hmm. very tough to do. Um, I don't know. Um, uh, I have turned it down. I don't work in that market. Um, I, I have had to turn down some assignments in other markets because of uh, ridiculous deadlines that there was no way I could possibly meet. Um, if I get a really tight deadline, I always ask myself, you know, can I do that justice in that time? Or mm-hmm. am I going to be handing in half-assed art? And oh, if the answer yeah. is that I'm going to have to be half-assing it, I don't do it because it would look, it would just not reflect well on me or on anybody else. Yeah, this advertising has some pretty big budgets. I mean, really big budgets. And mm-hmm. in some instances, I think some of the budgets could be the year art worth, pretty much the year's art budget for even a larger company. You know, and that's uh, that's saying something. And. You don't want to take a job with such a rushed turnaround and only to find yourself, you know, messing. You've only messed up so badly. Especially if, especially if you know the audience for the the piece that you're you're gonna do is going to have is going to be not just hundreds or thousands but millions. Mm-hmm. So if if you're going to do a major piece of work for a large company with a huge audience. And the, there isn't enough time to do it justice. Then you well, know yeah. you, re- you really have to ask yourself: uh, is, is is this something? Is this a risk I'm going to take, or is it 
Well, yeah. And what kind of company is going to want to pay the budget, you know, pay the, the fees that are associated with, uh, with high-end advertising if they're going to rush the project? You know, because if you rush the project, you're, you know, you're not going to necessarily get your money's worth. It's not going to represent your, your product well, or see, service very well. Not, some art, well, you don't know because some artists are that fast and that good. Oh, true, true. But that's, a, that's kind of an exception. And if you're a company, say I'm art director X, and I have a budget of thirty thousand dollars, and you know, I, I'm going to want to whoever I hire to do this, I want them to do a masterpiece for my for my campaign. I want mm -hmm. it to be something that's really going to get my money's worth, and they're going to see a return on that investment. You know. Well, let's put it this way: you you could hire two artists for the same price, and um, you know, one of them is uh, going to take. One of them is going to do your masterpiece in a week, and the other one's going to do your masterpiece in a month. But they're both going to be—they're both going to be masterpieces. Do you want the one who'll do it in a week or a month? Yeah. I mean, obviously, the guy who's got—it's not fair. Um, it sucks, but obviously, the person who's um, who can really turn out the, the fine fine work in the short time is going to have a serious edge on his competitors, who take longer to do the same work. Yeah, I, I guess in the end it would be worth asking uh, before taking on such a project, just asking, and not in a confrontational way, but simply asking, why so short a time period? What happened? What happened? What happened? <laughs> did, they, did they have another artist on hand who just bombed horribly? I mean, why, why are you being called in to sweep up the pieces of a broken schedule? Well... And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's really appropriate to ask. Well, no, no, but that, that worry, not in that way. But some, it's worth asking. And it's, it's certainly, if you're going to try to, if you're going to try to do two full painted illustrations in 48 hours, you better uh, get a pretty good, <laughs> good payment for that. <laughs> you know, it's being sleep deprived <laughs> yeah. and still producing to a high degree of quality as I, I, that I know this artist is capable of. I mean, there's nothing in this artist's work that says that he half-asses his work. Mm -hmm. You know, that he just belts it out in 30 seconds and, you know, moves on to the next job. You know, his work is very involved, and that was what got them in, interested in having him work on the project in the first place. And the thing would, is, though, some people do very detailed work very quickly. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. We've, I, we've, we've several of those folks right on our show yeah. <laughs> on Ninja Mountain. They're, they're incredibly fast people. And sometimes I, get, and sometimes I get on a groove and I'll knock something out pretty, pretty rapidly. Mm -hmm. But it's just a, it just seems like a bad business practice. It seems like every time they've approached him, it's with this uh, very well, you know, uh, insane it, it deadline. It could be that there's some artist out there where he lives. Where is he living in Poland or Hungary or something? That is. It's a, a secret. Oh, oh yeah. Um, it could be there's some local artist that is a big flake but has a style almost like his. So whenever this guy pulls his flaky act. <laughs> so we he, think of so this artist he, who will come in and save the day. So you know what he needs to do? He needs to find out who this flaky artist is and go and kick his ass. Oh, yeah. I'm oh yeah, kidding. go show up on his doorstep, baseball bat in hand. Yeah, man. Like, hey, man, you're ruining my life. And all I would, my advice to you know would be to make sure if you're going to take on this project, just make sure they pay you royally for the effort, and explain to them that. 
the kind of work you do takes time and effort. So if I'm going, if you're going to have to squeeze and and all that to work into a very short time period, then they're going to have to pay for it. Because you yeah, know, yeah, there's yeah. a there's an axiom in uh, in commercial art, and it's in any, basically in any business endeavor, you can be good, fast, or cheap. Pick two. Yeah, I'm. I am. I would say that I am good and relatively cheap. I'm not fast. <laughs> um, I am not that slow, but um, I'm definitely not. Um, you know, the artist who sits there and does six pieces a day. Oh, I, I'm not either. And even I think on my best in my best days when I was maybe working digitally and, they'll, and by the way those are not my best works you know in comparison to where I am today I was doing maybe two a day and the, you know it, it shows it shows mm-hmm. you know I look at it I look back on that work and while I felt like I had a really good groove going on back then I look at it years later it's like you know <laughs> boy it's a good thing I was blind back then otherwise mm-hmm. I would have lost sleep but uh, it was good enough for the time, and uh, it met the needs of the brief. But I tell you, sometimes you know, you'd like to go back and just uh, give it the attention that you know you're, you know, that you know the work would wouldn't suffer. So, mm-hmm. but um, so, you know, I, I wish I had we had a good answer for you, man. It's uh, it's a challenge. You know, you, all I can say is just charge them accordingly, and but. Trying to you know, just do what you can with the time allotted. You can explain mm-hmm. to them how you feel about the project and what you'd uh, what your expectations are, and what they really get a clear idea of what their expectations are, given the money on the table and the time that they're granting you. But yeah, it's tough to run business. And you look at illustration; the magazine market is notoriously fast turnarounds. And you you can say that for you that is a rush order, and it's going to cost more than your usual rates if they have your usual rates. Yeah, I yeah. mean they may not give it to you, but uh, you know then you don't have to take work. I, I would think companies that are in that dire a need of an image, they'd be willing to pay extra for the uh, the effort. Especially mm-hmm. you know they've already lost, they've already wasted their time. They've already lost all the time they had. Now all they can do is solve the solution with the uh, money. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. There's a lot Maybe. of variables, hey, but you know, it yeah. depends on how badly you want the job, and yeah, a lot of the time you don't want it that badly. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I remember I had this one job. I swear, I tried to get them to hire about seven different people before I finally just capitulated and did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that was a really long-term job, and I had two day jobs at the time, so I was very nervous about getting it done on time which I actually did but um, I I swear I must have recommended about seven other artists before I finally realized these people were not going away (laughs) oh yeah you know you know moving on I I had a um, a I had something uh, that's been playing at my uh, my my thoughts since I got back from Altoona and um, I will just reiterate that IllusCon was an amazing event, as always. Oh, bite me! Bite me! Bite me! Your when condo. and how hard? You have to be uh, specific, Sokar. Bite my big toe, you con-going bastard! <laughs> but one of the things, you know, I, 
it was interesting. I was listening. Uh, I was at uh, Chris Burdett's uh, and John Shindahadi's discussion about. Well, the, the 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 panel that they formed was a discussion about uh, getting serious about your work. And yes. one of the things was branding. It was an important component of that. You know, when you speak with art directors, what is it? You have to be rather specific in what it is you want to achieve in your work. What it is you want to do with your work. His Chris and anybody who knows Chris Burdett's work will know that Chris loves to design monsters. It's his passion. It's the thing that he that most gets him excited to create. And uh, he had an awesome T-shirt that he and John were both wearing. It was a word balloon uh, across a, a, the chest of a black T-shirt that said "Rar." <laughs> and it was it was clever. It was good fun. I like it. You know, it's part of his brand. You know, mm -hmm. I, I have to question what my own brand is. It's something I need to be. I, I it was kind of it kind of driven home to me a little bit when someone walked by my table at uh, during the Friday night showcase and they, or no, it's not that show. It was at Rhode Island Comic Con. People had walked by and they saw a rather diverse body of work on the on the wall behind me, mm -hmm. and they saw things from all sorts of genres: horror, fantasy, sci-fi, things of that sort. And there was no common, there didn't seem like one common link of genre beyond the fact that I was the one that did these images. So mm -hmm. there was no one specific brand, if you will, or flavor of work that someone might come to easily identify me with. Yeah, that can be a problem. Yeah. You have to have something that's recognizable. Like all my work almost is soft horror, which is um, sort of horror without too much blood or guts. Mm -hmm. uh, um, even the, even the pieces that are fantasy usually have some element of the creepy in them, and they have uh, you know they're all black and white, they're all the same you know pretty consistent style. But um, that took, that took a while to develop, you know. I didn't when I went to art school I didn't have a consistent style. My portfolio that I submitted to art school was all over the place. It was, you know, a little bit of everything. I did not know what I would be good at, so I tried everything from, you know, Japanese animation style to very, very traditional oil painting. And I submitted slides of just everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, I guess the, the challenge here is to look at your body of work and decide what, which bodies of which images in your portfolio best describe the kind of work that you want to be associated with that you want people to see an image of something that you that you didn't even do but mm -hmm. they see that and they instantly think of you in the work mm -hmm. that you do i think that's an important um, that's an important part of branding isn't it you know the you know if someone sees a monster i think about chris burdett you know what would what would chris have done with this design so they were so they were saying something as well though about talking to art directors. See that would be of interest to me, mm -hmm. because um, I've been I've been applying for a lot of jobs lately, and I've been talking to a lot of art directors lately, and you know um, my um, my approach was just to say very little, uh, except you know I saw your product line, I liked this about it. Uh, sometimes I didn't even put that because I didn't want to waste their time, and I just put. My, please check out my newly updated portfolio at goreblimey.com. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I thought I should uh, shut up and just let the art speak for itself. Because no matter, I, I figured no matter what I say when I write to an art director, they're going to look at my portfolio and either like it or lump it. So <laughs> oh, sure. Well, you know, so it, yeah, I think John was talking, John Shindahedi was talking yeah. about, um, well, you know, 
speaking with artists, and he, he actually did sit down with Chris, and he asked him, what is it you want to do? Well, mm -hmm. how would you describe the kind of work that you want to do? And his flat-out answer was, I want to make monsters. It was a very simple answer. And you know, once he answer. had that clear answer in his mind, he addressed his portfolio. And his mm -hmm. body of work grew to embrace that alone. And it's had, obviously it's had a positive impact on what he does now. And we've argued in the past that, you know, a portfolio, at least I have, I've argued in the past, that a portfolio needs to express what it is that you want to do, the kind of work you want. Mm -hmm. And um, I, think my, I think sometimes my work can be a little too broad, which is fine. I mean, you're working in, the, in a broad marketplace such as RPGs, which has so many genres. But I think maybe what I need to do is not necessarily uh, focus in on a particular genre, but perhaps make certain things hallmarks of my work. And there's one thing that I, you know, I feel I'm, and it's not, it's something that occasionally seems missing in the assignments I take on. And it's something I'm addressing in recent weeks. And that is uh, really uh, uh, augmenting the narrative. And there's a phrase that I've come up with, and maybe, other, maybe you've heard it coined before, but it's one I think I've, it's the first time I heard it, and that was emotional narrative. Emotional narrative. That sounds like something a therapist would say. Yeah, yeah, it may sound like that, but I think we we see in um, in so much fantasy illustration and sci-fi, we we so often, more often than not, really, we see the stoic hero, uh -huh. uh, teeth gnashing, teeth or, gnashing, or in a state of rage. We don't see a whole lot of nuanced uh, emotion. We don't okay. necessarily see a lot. I think in the kind of work that I might do for my portfolio would be pieces that have a great deal of storytelling, not just in what the characters are wearing, but in their bearing, you know, and what they're um, and challenging myself to step outside of some of the uh, the tropes. You know of, what? Uh, that, that's actually a really good thing to work on. I think for any artist, because you know, you see you see a lot of art where uh, this, this, the characters look sort of posed it's i mean when we do our critique episodes that is a critique that comes up over and over and over and over again mm -hmm. some somebody or something looks posed or arranged doesn't look natural and you know facial expression is is one really really big way of uh, communicating who is this yeah. character <laughs> overall expression a whole the whole body usually finds its way into an emotion yeah. And it's, it's also something I'm really bad at. I mean, I kind of cheap out in faces. In fact, I'm drawing right now as we speak, and, you know, if I lift a piece of paper that's covering the face of the central character, this person has no expression on their face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally understand that, you know. Or, or maybe the expressions... We oftentimes, I think, we fail... At least I do. I feel sometimes that I've missed the opportunity to get into a character's head and to act, make them act, you know, make them um, yeah. uh, seem responsive. It's funny, I'm, I'm drawing a ghoul riding on a hairy beast, and the beast has an expression on his face. Mm -hmm. the, the beast has this kind of lazy, I don't want to get up, stop riding me expression on his face. But the ghoul is just sort of there on the beast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm thinking I'd like to give my the, the characters and things that I put into my paintings um, a life and that personality and uh, clearly a, an emotional response to what's happening. And so if, to that end, I'd probably want to develop some scenes that are emotionally charged. And uh -huh. I, want to have the, I want to give myself the opportunity to tell a more robust and um, more robust story. Because I often approach my work with just this purely um, 
compositional and maybe you technical should do focus. Some, maybe you should do some sequential art. I mean, oh. seriously, that is a really good way to practice doing sort of emotional scenes and, and, and facial expressions, confrontations, and, you know, getting... And also, you know, working on both the extreme and the subtle. Like, if you do um, if you do a little narrative, maybe um, three or four pages, uh, six panels to 12 panels, I guess, per mm. page, if you had really small panels on one page, um, with... Um, and, 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 you know, you could do, like, an argument or a conversation or something, and and you could show people subtle facial expressions and they're more uh, emotionally charged ones and try to give the people, uh, just by what's going on within this narrative, try to give them, give the reader a view of what the people are like outside of this narrative as well. You know, give your characters a life beyond the page that you put them on. Yeah, and you know, I'm actually doing a seven-page story right now for an anthology, and it's uh, it's just a voluntary thing I'm doing with a friend's uh, a writing friend. Oh, is that that zombie one you were talking about? No, no, this is a, a different story. I, I, I didn't, I haven't done too many sequential stories. I've done this will possibly be the the third piece I've ever done, the third story I've ever illustrated, and. You know, with that in mind, I've re—I've been attacking this page for the third time. In this one, I'm doing a lot more to get that uh, some emotional nuance, some more humor, more uh, more clever use of posture and gesture and things of that sort. And it was something that I felt was missing in the earlier iterations. Mm-hmm. It's starting to find its way into this piece now, so I—I'm I, starting to take it on board. Uh, Across the body of work that I'll be developing, I've I've got some I've had some ideas for very emotionally charged images that I want to um, bring into my portfolio. And I'm looking at my portfolio and I'm realized I could clear cut this thing pretty well, and I'd, I'd find you know I'd, a much leaner portfolio. Yeah. And I don't have a lot of pieces in my online portfolio, but I could see. Very uh, in the in the months of head, completely reha- you know, revisiting this portfolio and ruthlessly slashing things that don't meet the current uh, focus that I want to bring to my work. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that since I quit my day jobs, my art has become a lot better mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm not trying to rush and do it as fast as I can between shifts. Oh sure. So I'm I'm I have a way better art, and then I look at my the other stuff on my website, and I'm all uh. Some of that older stuff needs to go. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. No, I understand that. I understand I that. Hate, I hate that feeling, but then I'd only have like five pieces. <laughs> there, there is that risk, you know. I, I, When I was at uh, the event, I saw some truly amazing artwork. Mm-hmm. And it there are a lot of things I what I saw there. There are um, they're all part of where I want to take my work, so I've got a lot to do. <laughs> what, and, what uh, I'm working what I'm working on at the moment is uh, um, I'm working on more um, to prove I can do it, and we're, I've decided to do some more complicated compositions with uh, multiple figures. Unfortunately, the first one I did, I kind of messed up. Um, it was going to be a bunch of people, but then I saw a picture of an owl, so it ended up being a picture of a bunch of owls instead. There were, I think, 20 owls in it. <laughs> <laughs> a I don't flock. Know. I didn't know owls flocked. I don't think they do. So it was kind of a weird <laughs> picture. Uh, it was called Puffy Owls, and it had one big owl and a whole bunch of little puffy owls crowding around, and one standing on its head, and 
one falling on its back and all stuff. But then after I finished, I was all, wait, in an art director's view, is this going to count as a picture with multiple figures in it? Because they're not human figures. These are owls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. Hey, you know what? Multiple anything sounds good. So, yeah, I did this painting of a uh, a pasture, and there were multiple blades of grass. I thought it was a pretty <laughs> challenging piece that I took on for myself. I really challenged myself on that one. Actually, so, I saw something on DeviantArt where somebody had, you know, copied a patch of uh, uh, brambles, I guess, pretty exactly, taking about 150 hours to draw in pencil. <laughs> 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 that, that, that could be kind of a challenge. Uh, so yeah, there you go. That that was like the big takeaway for me anyway, was I need to focus on my portfolio and s see what things are missing in it that I really want to bring to bear on it, especially if I want to yeah. do work outside of RPGs and, and, uh, and things of that sort. I think I need to be a better actor, if you yeah. will. I, I need to allow my characters to have a, an emotional life and that mm -hmm. being expressed in the pieces that I'll be doing. So. Yeah, you know, you're, you're really, you're right about that. I've, I was just, I'm just thinking about my work, as you said that, and, you know, I, I usually, if I want to express some emotion in it, I usually do it through the bodily position, but then for the face, I just do my usual lazy trick of two little lines for the eyes, another line for the mouth, and maybe a couple of little dots for the nose. Yeah, there, there is a marked amount of, I, well, and I see it across the board, there's a marked amount of neutrality in facial expression. I think all these characters, even though they're currently battling a dragon, they have this rich interior uh, monologue going that doesn't make it to the surface. <laughs> I, I, I barely, I think I barely even draw the face. Um, in fact, I one time went through all my art and I counted, you know, how many characters even had eyes that were open. And it was something like 10%. And, you know, the vast majority of the face was, uh, the eyes were closed. And then there were a bunch where the face wasn't even showing. And then there are some that didn't even have any eyes. <laughs> yeah, man. So if eyes are the windows of the soul, most of my work is soulless. <laughs> <laughs> we and know. I, and I don't have I don't have problem drawing eyes. You know, when I did my book on how to draw fantasy art, I did, I, sh I showed people how to draw eyes. I drew a couple of eyes. Sure. But, but uh, still, when when I when I go to draw an eye, it's just this little line. <laughs> 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 I guess I guess what one of my teachers in art school said was really true. Your style is a is the uh, collection of the mistakes you make. Oh yeah, your style is everything you do wrong. I've heard that. I've heard the similar uh, the similar argument. That's just like <coughs> opinion, man. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, you're and ahead. You're ahead. Big doings in the portfolio for Jeremy. And, now, maybe yeah. we're going to see some things coming up in your in uh, in your work too, huh? I'm hoping so. I, I'm I mean I'm in the weird state of limbo right now. I'm waiting for a couple of um, when I sent out some emails a couple of weeks ago, uh, well actually like a month ago now to get some new work, um, and I got several replies about stuff that would be starting in the next couple of months, and I would get briefs then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, then I got a couple of maybes. Which, you know what's going to happen, of course. Everything's going to start at the same bloody time, and then the maybes are going to pop up at that time as well. Oh, invariably. And gonna, yeah, and I'm going to be totally swamped. At the moment, uh, I'm doing small, I'm doing a couple of small things and uh, some portfolio pieces. Uh, so hopefully, um, yeah, some, I can't show most of the smaller stuff I'm doing because it still is NDA. 
surprisingly enough. Um, but <laughs> I can sh definitely show the portfolio pieces I'm working on, which will hopefully be quite soon. Oh, sure. No, it's, you know, I was chatting with another artist one evening and, um, you know, she was in, she's in a same, a similar position to me in that we've both arrived at a, you know, we've had a year or two of technical growth where our work is starting to become much more technically facile. But at the same time, we find that perhaps our storytelling is starting to um, take a back seat to that uh, attempt at virtuosity. Mm -hmm. And... I think there's always that there's a balance to be struck in that and that's I think that's what I need to be doing in my own work. We both seem to be on the same page with that. We both need to bring back our um the storytelling to our work. Seriously, dude, you should try this drawception site. Um it has a 10-minute limit on any drawing you do. And well, you have a tablet, but I'm I'm drawing with my finger on my iPad <laughs> on this thing <laughs> and it has a really limited tool set. And then you're describing weird stuff like the Hulk sees goats and dies, and, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and 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 you know it did because there's no expectations, there's no client, there's it doesn't really matter if what you draw is good or not because you know a lot of people just draw stick figures and stuff, so who cares? Mm. Um, I mean there are leaderboards, but I don't think anyone really cares who's on them. Um, so it's it's like um, you know you can just drop all your inhibitions. And, uh, you know, you, you can practice stuff with absolutely no, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? No consequences. And I mean, no, no chance of like, if you fail, there's it's just, it's nothing. It's no big deal. You, you, uh, just let it go at the end of the 10 minutes and you do another one. Oh, um, yeah. and, and so there's, you know, you, it's, it's a place, it's a place where you can just sort of relax, have fun try new things, um, uh, you know, practice facial expressions, practice weird compositions and angles. Like, um, I, I know one thing I've been working on on there is, uh, you know, normally when I draw a face, I don't try to make it look like any specific person. Um, I just draw, you know, generic face from my image graveyard sort of thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, but on this, on this reception, a lot of the prompts that pop up are like, um, uh, Jared from Subway. I'm like, who the hell is Jared from Subway? <laughs> so I, so I, you know, I look him up on um, Google Images. I find a picture of him. I try to draw something that looks like him, so that it'll be recognized by the next person. And uh, you know, it really makes you look at the person's face and see what makes it different from other faces. And you know, sometimes the next person recognizes it, and sometimes they think it's somebody totally different, and then it's funny. But you know, whether you succeed or fail, it's still funny. So that's the, that's the whole charm of this game. You should totally try it, Jeremy. Oh, like give it. it a shot. This was drawception.com. Yeah, I think every artist should try it. Sounds like something to pop in the show notes. Yeah, we should pop it. I, I already posted it on the Ninja Mountain forum. Um, uh, I don't think that many people saw the thread, but yeah, you sh everybody should try it because, you know, even though it's just a silly little doodle thing, um, you can, you take something away from it, especially, I mean, maybe someone who's not a professional artist wouldn't take so much away from it, but, you know, if you, once you know, you, you know, if you're an artist who has the basics down, you know what you're doing, then giving yourself a strict time limit and just sketching mm -hmm. and, and, and drawing something that's outside your comfort zone and maybe silly and weird, there's more benefit to it than you'd think. I mean, I've been noticing it when I when I've been drawing on that site, and then I 
go and I start sketching for a client, there's you know some, a bit more life in the sketch I'm doing for the client. So do it, artists. I encourage you. Oh, gestural drawing of that sort, and just exercises in gesture drawing are fantastic. And don't be mm -hmm. afraid to head out. I mean, I'll probably find myself doing a lot more of this, you know, wandering around, going to the mall, for instance, and just watching people as they go through their daily lives. And you're going to see all kinds of things. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've been somebody who's learned to, to see contour and color and value and how the lighting is playing on something. But uh, mm -hmm. I haven't spent enough time examining just, you know, when you're watching people, if you've ever just been people watching, oh, you're going yeah, to see people going through various emotional states. You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if people like it when you're looking at them, if they're flustered or whatever, though. So. Well, you don't necessarily have to ad advertise the fact that you are watching people. <laughs> you can be very <laughs> quiet and, you know, surreptitious in your pursuit. But it's just something I think it's worth doing to be observant of your mm -hmm. surroundings. I, I think some of the you know you, some of your best actors are people who really follow and pay attention to what people are doing around them, and how they're you know what they're how they're going about their lives. Maybe they're looking they'll look at the photography and see see if they can decipher how someone is feeling, mm -hmm. and how can they bring that into their craft. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean sometimes you know uh, when you're sketching. And, and you know it's high stakes, like it's for a client, you second-guess yourself too much. That's mm -hmm. why it can be good to sort of drop all the expectations every once in a while and, you know, draw with your finger on your iPad so there's no way you're going to do a good job. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and once you stop um, expecting miracles out of yourself, uh, you know, and you, you, you sort of drop the pressure, you, you sort of get more in the meat of things. You, you, you get something that's a bit more authentic sometimes and... You, you you can really surprise yourself. Oh, certainly. Like I've even I've even thought I might take some of these silly little sketches I I did on on that site with my finger, and I might make drawings like more complicated drawings based on those. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's uh, it's fun. Yeah, and I would encourage folks to uh, if you have not yet, I would encourage folks to head on over to ninjamountain.org, and click on I believe it's the what is it talk. Yeah, I think it's talk. And that will enter you to the forums, and you can easily sign up and set up a uh, a profile. And that's where we're starting to develop our forums, and that's where a number of today's questions came from. Mm -hmm. And we also can discuss. You know, you'll also find out where your fellow listeners are going to be at various shows and events. And we have uh, some so far. The forums are starting to take shape. We've we've gotten some activity. Uh, some of the regulars on our show are posting. And also many listeners are starting to post as per today's questions. So I say head on over, and I will keep an eye out in the – I'm the one who gets the – Oh, and if you do go to the forums, be sure to check out – go to the WIP forum and mm -hmm. check out the, the thread. I think it's something like uh, watch Sisyphus roll the boulder up the hill. Um, it's a thread by a forum user called Dorig. And yeah. check out his process. His in-progress shots are awesome. Um, and you know he shows how he does all these value and color studies before he paints. Like he does digital value and color studies, and then he has all these pencil drawings and yeah, marker drawings and things that he does uh, to get his concepts really, really uh, um, refined before he goes on to the final work. And he's been posting walkthroughs of, of several pieces that he's done lately, and. Um, 
this this is really one of the best threads I've I've seen on any forum. Uh, which, you know, it shows how somebody works and what they're working on, as well. You know, he was he was in there and he was saying, "Oh yeah, I'm working on doing some more weapon designs for my portfolio." And so yeah, art director should check out his thread too if you want to sign up for our forum as well. Oh yeah, we are we are not exclusive in, to artists. We want art directors to stop on in. We do want yeah uh, fans if you're a fan of the of the genre if you're a fan of game art and fantasy art in general i think you'd enjoy visiting and seeing what people are talking about if you're a small publisher just trying to figure out what it's uh, what it's about you know to hire a freelancer i think that's a, a good resource and i think you'll also find that well, we also post links to all kinds of things you know one of the interesting things that was at um at Ilixcon, we there was a discussion uh, about a piece that uh, Randy Gallegos wrote up regarding how to hire and work with freelance illustrators that uh, I'll make sure to find and link to. Oh, yeah, I saw that going around on Facebook, but it was in a PDF and my computer was running slowly because I had Photoshop mm -hmm. open, so I didn't read it. Yeah. But I was planning on reading that. Yeah, I want to bring Randy and, and team onto the show to discuss uh, some of the, the things that they want to see happen for the industry in the uh, months and years ahead. Because they had some really interesting thoughts on how one can use the Internet to build uh, relationships with uh, publishers and to what can we can do to affect change within our industry you know, for the artists. You know, sometimes I really hate you and Patrick going out and making all these contacts in person and talking to people that are in the <laughs> industry and, and, you know, getting all this latest scoop that's going on and changing stuff from the inside. I'll bet I've met some of your favorite artists. Met Bite them me. and talked to them. I bet you have. I feel so left out. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it, it sucks. I mean, I've sold some of my art to some of my favorite artists, but I've never met them. <laughs> it's very, very unfair, man. I want to go to a convention. I want to meet. All, I want. I want to meet everybody too. I want to. I want to talk to people and mm, either get my portfolio reviewed or review somebody's portfolio. I'm open. I'll do either. If someone would just talk to me. Please. <laughs> Please. I'm so pathetic. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> we got to get you out of your shell. You're so shy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not shy. You're very shy. <laughs> I'm just afraid of people. And, uh, well, well, not people so much as scary people. And, you know, you never people. know the difference between normal people and scary people till it's too late. following up our discussion today I think with at least perhaps you know I, I gathered a few interviews there are I may sprinkle them into future episodes or do them um, all at once I have not uh, decided this could this could turn into a uber mega episode if I do it with this episode no you should you should do it with a different you should do it on its own because um, yeah. you know we normally uh, we've all been really busy lately and you know, we're probably not going to record again next week or the week after. Quite possibly. I, I would like us to, It's it, now that I think I'm starting to get back to the swing of things, and I, I do, lately I, I, and I understand, lately I find myself doing a lot of the organization and editing editing of the show, which is fine. It's, um, 
Mm-hmm. Now that things are starting to return to something that resembles normalcy for me, although that won't last for long. For those who follow me on Facebook, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've. Uh, well, oh, yeah, I know all about that. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I know what you've been doing, you dirty, dirty boy. boy. <laughs> I wasn't alone, though. I wasn't alone. No, obviously not. So, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let the our listeners know that uh, if you if you follow me, that's not a secret. If you follow me on Facebook and what have you, you'll know that my wife and I are expecting our first child in April, and uh, we've just we've learned it's going to be a boy. Ooh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's going to be a boy. So yeah, we're we're excited. Of course, that's going to make some changes, at least on my front, for a little while. Because uh, once you once a child is born, you've entered what's officially known as the fourth trimester. Really? <laughs> In which case, you know, there is nothing. You know, that thing they call sleep becomes okay. a thing of legend. I'm going to tell you something, which you will thank me for later. Sure. Um, I'm going to tell you how to make a baby go to sleep when it's screaming and screaming and screaming and driving you up the wall. Okay. This works about 80% of the time. The other 20%, the baby is inconsolable and there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. So that just bites to be you. But sure. here's something that will almost always calm down your annoying, cranky baby that won't shut up. Um, you, you lie down on your back and then you lie the baby down on its stomach on top of you like on your stomach you know mm-hmm. and then you start breathing really slowly and regularly and calmly until you're almost falling asleep mm-hmm. and by the time you start dozing off the baby will um sort of catch the calmness bug from you oh okay it's kind of like hiccups hiccups Oh yeah, you ever seen people always catch the hiccups from each other? Oh, I, I thought I thought that was yawning. <laughs> oh yeah, I think you're right. It's probably not hiccups. Yeah, it's it's sort of like yawning, you know. You, Pay no you, attention to me, people. I'm sleep deprived. But moving you, on. You get yes. yourself you get yourself totally relaxed, and then your baby will relax and stop screaming. And if it doesn't, then there's probably something else wrong with it. And you, once you figure that out, it'll shut up. You know what always works in the movies. And I suppose I shouldn't be surprised at this. What always works in the movies is a chloroform-soaked rag. (laughs) People, it doesn't matter just you know how distressed that person is. The moment that rag goes over their mouth, they're out in seconds. And everybody of our listener calls children's services. You haven't even (laughs) had your baby yet. (laughs) Yeah, don't worry, folks. I promise not to use too high a dosage. Hey, (laughs) do not chloroform your baby. That is that's wrong. Yeah, that's doing it wrong. (laughs) Doing it wrong. Parenting, you're doing it wrong. So, but anyway, I think it's you'll uh, be a good father. You'll be, you'll do just great. I'm sure. I think so. I think so. I'm looking forward to it. I worked with kids for a long time. My wife is a nanny for a long time. We're between the two of us. We seem to know. We'll we'll know a way around. The thing with children, though, of course, is that they don't—they're—they're they're usually writing the manual as they go. I think the problem with children is every single one of them is different. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, you get advice from someone, whether they're a parent or not. Uh, their advice may be absolutely ineffective to your baby. Oh uh, yeah. Like what works for one set of parents might not work for another kind of like the uh rest your child on your chest and hope they catch the calmness bug kind of thing you hope that's going to work well i think that works with almost all babies i used to babysit a lot and i was a nanny and 
It worked with every baby I ever tried it on. It Someone even let worked... you near their children? Yeah, are you surprised? What the <laughs> hell with it? What? Man, don't they do background checks or nothing anymore? I don't have a criminal record. Okay. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm I, I don't want children, but that doesn't mean I hate them. This is true. This is true. I'm just messing with you. I'm actually pretty good at getting the little buggers to STFU and GTFO. See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kidding. Kidding. Oh yeah. You're yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do not mind them at all. I just don't want them. <laughs> you you can have them. <laughs> um but, welcome but, to yours, Jeremy. You can keep yours, yes. But yeah, I mean you you never know because you know one child, you know, they either Brussels sprouts with no problem, the next one hates Brussels sprouts. So you have to figure out um, how to have a relationship with the minimal amount of conflict with your particular child. <laughs> this version of a child. They're never well, the same. They aren't. Seriously. Like, uh, when I was a kid, um, the, the the big children's toy was called a Jolly Jumper. Mm-hmm. And you put your kid in it, and I guess you hang it on the wall or something, and the kid is supposed to bounce up and down. And I, I didn't get that (laughs) so so i just hung there and the only time i ever jumped was when a huge bird threw it flew in the window i see you know one thing i think all that's universal seems universal for kids especially Mm. boys i think building forts oh yeah yeah we're totally gonna build forts i've got lots of practice everyone sees me at a convention they see my table i've practically built a fort out of artwork yeah. Oh. Oh. Um. Yeah. Like you get the couch cushions and a bunch of blankets, and and you have to somehow include the TV inside the fort. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. And then you know there has to be a password to get in. Oh yeah. Well, you know I've got I've I when I was a kid I think I made what was perhaps the greatest fort design. It it just totally physics were well observed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Here here's what I did. Here's what we did. Mm. You take uh, your light uh, top sheet, okay, yeah. of your twin size bed. Work, you know, works with a twin size bed in particular. You take your top sheet, you tie that to the top of your box fan, okay. Then you okay. take the other end and you you just kind of tie it off to the head post, okay. Then you crank that fan on. You've just created a bubble. <laughs> well, I never thought about An that. Awesome bubble. You just created. A, yeah, it's amazing. You gotta try this. People are going to rush out now and try this at home. If I I ever have called and make a fort, I will definitely try that. Yes, you have to call it. You basically have to follow the McCube blueprint for the ultimate fort. fort. You know, it's kind of sad. I'll probably never have called to make a fort again in my entire life because I have no plans of having children. You can make a fort anytime you like, Sokar. Because you don't have kids, you'll be able to make a fort whenever it appeals to you. That is true. I can make a fort right now if I wanted to. Exactly. Jeez. <laughs> Why write yourself off? No, oh, because then I'd have to clean it all up again. No, you don't. Yeah. I you don't. don't I can just, I can, I can you, just... That fort could stand for centuries. I could, I could make my whole apartment into a fort. <laughs> done done properly, a fort can last for centuries. My mother, so. would, my mother would come over and she'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Get this stupid fort out of here. We will. I think we're gonna leave our. Uh, we will leave our listeners on that note. And uh, yeah. thanks for tuning in, folks. And we hope you enjoyed today's show. And I'd like to thank 
Uh, in absentia, I thank Patrick McAvoy for joining us, and you can find him at megaflowgraphics.com. And I thank Soccer Miles. At goreblindme.com. And I am Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughStudios.com. And we are proud members of the Visual Artist Podcast Network. Don't forget to check out the show and its notes at ninjamountain.org. And if you'd like to take part in our community, sign into the forums. Uh, all, reg all registries are sent into my email, and I review. So just make sure that you have uh, you've used a, a human name. <laughs> and don't be afraid to start threads about anything that you your little heart desires. Um, it's a very casual atmosphere, um, mm -hmm. very very friendly. Um, if you see an interesting bird, you can post it in the bird thread. See, <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to get more people into birding. You're totally <laughs> pimping out your thread right now, aren't you? Yeah, the bird Birds. thread. Is oh god! Birds. Cue the musication. Dun, 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 dun. Let's hear some bird music. Just bird bird music. Uh, <laughs> what the hell was that? So the magic food. The bird catcher I am. Yeah.